When Joyce looked at the uh, sermon title for today, she said, so are you going to start out by telling them that it's Job and not Job? (laughs) And I told her, actually, this time it's Job and not Job. (laughs) So that's a first. Um, This continues our series through the book of Ephesians, Blessed to Bless. And today we're in the passage in Ephesians 6 that I want to tell us today talks to us about our job. It talks to us about our work. It talks to us about our daily lives, wherever that takes place. Ephesians speaks to how we act in our daily lives, even on the job. As I read through the New Testament more and more, I've become convinced that the vast, overwhelming majority of the New Testament speaks to us, not about what we do in here, but about what we do out there. It's so much geared to Christians about how we are to live faithfully to God in the midst of a very secular, uh, sometimes combative world to biblical values, to the cause of Jesus Christ. And so, as we have honored our veterans today, and quite appropriately so, uh, we realize that there are many who sacrifice so much. We know the the passage that uh, Jesus says in the Gospel of John that uh, there's no greater sacrifice that someone could make than to give their lives uh, for someone else. And our veterans put their lives on the line. Some of them have given their lives and their families have given so much and sacrificed so much. And quite appropriately today, uh, we say thank you. And in all of our jobs, in all of our work, whatever that looks like, it might be a a temporary job, it might be a permanent job, it might be a career, uh, it might be school, uh, it might be keeping a home and making a home. It could be working at home. It could be all kinds of things. But we're called to ring out the message. And that happens without words before it happens with words. When you're talking about our daily lives, the majority of our time spent in this world on this earth, then you're talking about a vast majority of influence and example and modeling of the Christian faith that we have. And then as opportunity presents itself, and as we can perhaps create opportunities at times, then we ring that message out with words. But what we're finding in our society and in our world today is the same as what was true in the first century And that is long before our words can actually have a hearing, people have to see that in our lives. And so we're called upon to live faithfully with that balance that our shepherd David Hammond talked about in his prayer today. Taking that story of the prodigal sons and the loving father from Luke 15 and talking about how we don't want to be either of those two sons. We don't want to be the older son that refuses to rejoice over the uh, joy and penitence of others. And at the same time, we don't want to be that younger son that turns away from the father and throws everything sacred away and goes off to live his own path. And that brings us to Ephesians chapter 6. 
Ephesians chapter 6, and this is in the context in the first century world of Palestine, of course, where slavery was common, and a lot of the church members had experienced that themselves. And, and so you look at what Paul is writing to them, and we understand that that's something that God abhors, that certainly there's no, no justification for one human being owning another human being. Uh, that is a horrible institution. But at the same time, it was a reality in the first century. And so Scripture addresses that. Why? Because there were Christians who were slaves. And as the book of Philemon tells us, and this passage and similar passages such as in Colossians 3, there were Christian masters as well. And so as we read these words today, let's try to apply them to 21st century America, to to 2022 Tyler, Texas, shall we? And as you hear uh, Paul addressing those who were servants or slaves, we're going to apply that to those who work for someone else, who on their job, they're not the boss, someone else is. And then as he addresses masters, we hear him talking to those who are managers, who are in charge, who are the boss. At work. And so these words in Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 5 Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. Verse 7 says, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Verse 9, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. Well, you have lots of scriptures listed on the sermon outline, and they talk about how we are to live every single day to honor Jesus Christ. Everything we say and everything we do is done because we are Christians. And that's true here, but that's especially true out there, because that's where the difference can be seen. When people see something different in our lives, on the job, in the home, in the community, in the school, when they see that in us, it has an impact. It has an impact. And we're able to bring glory and honor to God and possibly even open up a few doors that might be able to give us an opportunity to share the Word of God, to ring out that message. As I thought about those stories of the prodigal sons as David was leading us in prayer, I thought about the word balance. Because I think that's what the world needs to see in us. People that you go to school with, people that you work with, your family members, your friends, the hobbies that you keep, the groups and clubs that you're involved in, all of that, people get to know you. And what they need to see in us is Someone who is balanced, who is not that prodigal son that has living an immoral life and cares nothing for the word and will of God, the loving father, 
But they also don't want to see someone who is arrogant and proud in their, in their faith and in their Christianity and pretty much looks down their nose at everyone who is not as actively serving the Lord as they think they are. Nobody is going to be brought to Christ by either of those. But when people see us as Christians living a normal, balanced, healthy life, it can have an impact. And perhaps somewhere down the line, they will even notice the differences in us and in how we choose to live our lives, especially when the circumstances are hard. Especially when we are not treated fairly or justly. And so we look at this this passage from that perspective. And as we think of this series and as we think of our lives on the job or in the school or in the home, in the community, we see this first of all, and that is, I have a calling. I have a calling. Whatever your situation in life is right now, you have a calling. You have a calling to be God's person right where you are. Because guess what? Guess who put you there right now? God did. Guess who gave you that position or that, uh, that service or uh, that relationship? It is God who has placed you there. I have a calling. We think back on that wonderful passage from the book of Esther and that great story of Esther, this woman who was a, a, a young Jewish maiden who ultimately became a queen in Persia. And somewhere during that time period, her guardian Mordecai makes an enemy of a very powerful man by the name of Haman. And Haman decides that he's not only going to kill Mordecai, he's going to kill off all the Jews. And he does that, he tries to do that legally. Because of his relationship with the king. And so Mordecai, of course, as you know, in chapter 4, sends word to to Queen Esther. And Queen Esther comes back and tells him, Mordecai says, look, you've got to go to the king. You've got to tell him what's going on here. And Esther says, well, look, you you don't just walk in on the king. (laughs) I mean, he's the king. He can have you killed. The one exception is is if he extends his scepter to you. And basically a sign of acceptance. And for you, a sign of life, not death. And so she says, I haven't been called in several weeks. I I can't do that. I can't do that. And then these great words in Esther chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther hears those words and and she says, okay. And she sends word back to Mordecai and, he, and she says, look, you tell everybody, every Jew you know to pray and fast for me. I and my maidens will be praying and fasting and I will go before the king even though I've not been called. And if I perish, I perish. Who knows but that she was at that place at that moment for just that specific time. And you say, well, Bill, my life's not anywhere near that dramatic. I get it. Mine neither. <laughs> 
Probably none of us has a life like that. But guess what? We all have a calling. We have all been placed in a certain place, at a certain position, at a certain time, around certain people for just a moment like this. As we're going to say today, God doesn't do anything by accident. He has you right where He wants you. And He's given you a calling to act in His behalf and for His glory and for His kingdom right where you are. Wherever that might be, as confused as it might be, as crazy as it might be, as seemingly powerless as it might be, God has placed you there. And you have a calling to serve Him and those around you right there. Our job is to try to figure out what that is that He wants us to do. Joyce is here today, and many of you probably know, if you follow me on Facebook, that it's her birthday today. It's her birthday today. She is <coughs> years old today. And uh, Joyce has worked almost our whole married life. I mean, she was... <laughs> okay, all of you that are young adults and are thinking about getting married, close your eyes, go la 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 for a few minutes. We got married in May of 1977, and we went back to college, and neither one of us had a job. And it just about killed her dad. <laughs> I had another year at least, possibly two, of school. She had great skills, secretarial science skills, all of which became obsolete not long after we graduated. Um, but she knew she could get a job, and we knew that. And so, and we were in love, so we got married. And we went back up there, and sure enough, she got a job. I found a few little part-time things, and then I worked for... Uh, the college my last uh, year or two and it all worked out fine but Joyce has she's worked almost our whole married life and in every situation where she's been she has brought light to the people she works with she has been a joy to work around no matter what the working environment is I think of when she worked uh, for Wake Forest University School of Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And she worked in the, wait, I think I know this. She worked in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology, right? Yes, there you go. And she was the administrative assistant for the chair of that department, which meant that there were a whole lot of PhD students running around doing all kinds of experiments and, and crazy things. But they all looked at her as, a, as someone who was stable, someone who brought joy in the midst of the chaos of their lives. Someone who had a smile. And she, she has always impacted people like that. She has a calling. And she blessed others through that work. Through the influence that she had on her co-workers and on her environment. Many of you do exactly the same thing. And you think that you're not making an impact. You think that no one's notice, noticing and you think that that no one really cares and you're not accomplishing anything great. You are. You are. And this is God's doing. That's why he's got you there. I have a calling. Secondly, be the same kind of worker you would be if Jesus were your boss. Because guess what? He is. <laughs> he is. That's what this passage is absolutely saying. 
And it talks to servants to be that kind of servant, to serve their master as if they're serving Christ, not their boss. And I appreciate what Tucker said as he was talking about uh, the, the Hallmark movies. And he's exactly right. Life is not a Hallmark movie. I, I can tell you, Joyce and I, as I said, can tell you the whole storyline in five minutes and we're in that movie. And we're right 95% of the time. And I love that. <laughs> but life's not like that. Tucker's exactly right. And sometimes you get put in a situation where you have a manager or a boss or a supervisor that is evil. That is unjust, that is uncaring, that is inconsiderate, and perhaps might even be cruel. And so if you choose to stay there, how will your employment look? Will it look like people in the world? who just do what they have to do, who are resentful and returned evil for evil? Or will it be like this scripture says? Will it do these things? Will you work out of a, a respect? Even if you can't respect that person, you can respect their position over you. You work with sincerity and genuineness, Paul says. You serve wholeheartedly. And you do that all the time, not just when they're watching, not just when you're going to get caught if you mess up. You do the right thing all the time. Why? Because it's the right thing. Not because you're going to get promoted, not because you're not going to lose your job, not because this person deserves you to, treat, to work that way. You do that because that's who you are. You're a person who serves wholeheartedly. You're a person who gives everything in that job that you're expected to give. You serve all the time, not just when they're watching. And you do this to serve God, not to serve some man or woman who just happens to be your boss. Granted, you understand that and you respect that, but you don't just serve them, you serve the Lord in that position. And you don't just do it to get a promotion or to keep your job, you do it because you're serving the Lord. And you do that with your whole Heart, And you do that with confidence that God will ultimately reward and vindicate you. And I tell you, when you're in a situation and when you're in a relationship, whether it's at school or at work, in the home, in any other situation in the community, and you're being treated unjustly, and vindication is not coming, it's hard. It's really hard. To continue in that environment. And there may come a time where you decide, I can't continue here, and that's okay. But if you choose to continue in that, then you need to hear these words from the Apostle Paul. You say, Yeah, but Bill, you don't understand. I you don't understand how mean and cruel my boss is. Well, remember, he's talking to slaves, Christian slaves, and he's telling them to do this. Why? Because it gives glory to God. And because it just might have an impact on someone else. He calls us to do the same thing. Be the same kind of worker you would be if Jesus were your boss, because He is. Be that kind of employee. 
Number three, be the same kind of supervisor you would be if Jesus were your boss. Because guess what? He is. He is. And the fact that Paul addresses masters at all in this passage is a bit surprising. Because typically that's not what you find. Whether you're here or in Colossians or in 1 Peter, typically it's those who are not in authority, who are who are people who have uh, named the name of Christ and are part of the church that he's addressing. But as he speaks to Christian masters, he tells them to remember the same things. In fact, he starts out in the same way. And that is incredible. That he would tell them in that social setting 2,000 years ago, the things I just said to the servants, are exactly the same things I am telling you. You might be in power, you might be in authority, you might have the position, but all the same things apply. Be the same kind of supervisor or manager or boss that you would be if Jesus were over you because he is. Be a leader, not an intimidator. John Maxwell and others who write on leadership say that the lowest threshold of leadership and power and authority is position. You're the person in charge. And people obey you because they have to. And that's it. You have done nothing to earn their respect. You have done nothing to encourage them that even if that position wasn't officially named... They would still look to you as someone that they respect and someone who is a good leader and someone that they wish to follow. The lowest level is position, authority. People follow you because they have to, because you're the one in charge, because you're the one that makes the decisions, because you're the one that controls the purse strings, because you can give them their job or take it away. And if that's all it is, that's the lowest form of leadership. That you can find. Paul tells us today. Don't be that kind of leader. Don't be that kind of supervisor. Don't be that kind of manager. Don't be that kind of boss. But rather build that relationship. Show them some. uh, Consideration. And respect themselves. Even though you may not have to. Because you have the authority. Be a leader. Not an intimidator. And don't play favorites. Treat everyone fairly. (laughs) Paul reminds us, those who are in charge, those who are in positions of authority, that you have a master too. You have a boss too. And guess what? It's the same one as theirs. (laughs) Their boss is also your boss. The one they ultimately answer to is the same one that you ultimately answer to. So keep that and it helps to keep it in perspective if we keep that in mind. Be the same kind of supervisor you would be if Jesus were your boss because he is. And so you serve him wholeheartedly in your position. You do what's right. Not just what's in your favor. Not just what will work out best for you. But you do what will glorify God. Number four, every day is boss's day because God is the one you ultimately work for. Speaking of Hallmark, I understand that the calendar, most every single day, it's something day. 
It's birthdays, it's Mother's Day, it's Father's Day. All those things are great. Veterans Day, great. Independence Day, great. All of those things. But I realize also that there are times when you look at it and say, okay, who do I have to buy a card for today? And I want to tell you that I've even heard that there's a Hamburger's Day and a Chocolate Day, and I'm all about those. I think that's quite appropriate. But there is a Boss's Day. This is a quote from Coach Tony Dungy, Super Bowl winning quote, now a football commentator, a man of great faith in Jesus Christ. He speaks out very publicly about his faith. He's written books about it. He's a very staunch believer in the sanctity of life. And he makes no secret of that. He doesn't do that arrogantly, but he does that very faithfully and firmly. And I'm thinking that if Tony Dungy, an NFL coach, working year after year to try to build a Super Bowl team, if he can live by this every day is boss's day because God is the one you ultimately work for, then surely I can too. And so we treat every day like that day is a special day to honor the one who is our ultimate manager, and supervisor. Number five, recognize that your work is a ministry. Your work is a ministry. It's not just mine. It's not just the others on our staff. Your work is also a ministry. I have a calling. You can say that because you do. Uh, A U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics study as of 2021 said the average hours worked per week was 38.7 hours, so just under 40 hours. And I realize some work many more hours than that, some work some less. But that is a significant amount of the time that you are awake (laughs) and that you live. And if you check your Christianity at the door because you're a student at school or because you're at work or because you're a supervisor or because you're a lowly employee or whatever excuse and rationalization we make, that's not right. That's not right because that's your calling. God has you there in that place, in that position around those people to have an influence, to have an impact for God. To demonstrate to them day in and day out what it looks like to be a faithful child of God. One person has said the workplace is the greatest mission field of our day. And they continue and they say most believers do not understand that all of life is spiritual, not just life on Sunday. I realized that when I was in high school, one of the reasons I wanted to go to a Christian college was because I wanted every day to be a youth group. (laughs) And it kind of was. And I wasn't there very long. We were talking about this in the office recently. I wasn't there very long before I heard my first cuss word in the dorm at Oklahoma Christian College. And I was so mad. (laughs) Every place we go, We're called to serve. We're called to be an example. We're called to ministry. I have a calling, not just on Sundays, not just here, not just worshiping together, but every single day we live faithfully for God and for His purposes. We need to value full-time church work and ministry. And I believe that we should seek to encourage our young people who have those gifts and that inkling to fulfill that. The church needs good ministers. 
And good leaders of ministry, absolutely. But we also need to value those who work outside of church life, in the community, day to day, week to week, year to year, so that you can see your life as ministry also. You have a calling. And so each of us can say, I have a calling. Say that out loud with me. I have a calling. One more time. I have a calling. And you do. Wherever you are, you do. Whether you think it's important or not, whether you think anybody knows that you're alive or not, you have a calling. And you have people that only you can impact with the love and word of Christ. And that's why you're there for however long you are. Just like with Esther, your job, your school, your volunteer work, your family is a ministry. You have a calling. It is to be God's presence and share His love and His word with those around you every single day. So a few things before we close. First of all, in God's plan, every assignment is preparation. This is a quote from Steve Farrar. In God's plan, every assignment is preparation. And you look at where you are right now and you may say, Bill, this, this, is, this is a dead end. <laughs> I hate it here. I'm nobody here. I'm not accomplishing anything here. Just remember that every assignment is from God and it is preparation. It is preparation. And you say, well, I don't know what he's preparing me for exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. You don't. But he does. In that book that Steve Farrar wrote, he wrote it about uh, Joseph, who at age 17 was sold by his brothers into bondage, into captivity, taken to Egypt far away, and there became a slave at age 17. And then after a while, he was unjustly accused, as you know, and he was put in prison, put in prison. And he was 13 years He didn't figure all of this out. It didn't become clear what was going on here until age 30. From 17 to 30, he was either a slave or in prison. But he was being prepared. And you know that ultimately he became second in command to Pharaoh himself. Over the most powerful country in the world. Egypt. We think of Moses and we know his life is 40, 40, 40. 40 years raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 40 years leading the Israelites out of captivity and through the wilderness and to the promised land. But what about that 40 years in the middle? We don't hear much about that. But that was Moses being prepared for the work that God had for him to do. In God's plan, every assignment is preparation And also in God's plan, there are no wasted assignments. There are no wasted assignments. You're where you are because that's where God wants you right now. He may not want you there for long. He may want you there for a long time. But there are no wasted assignments in God's plan. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, that's a part of His plan. And so we seek to fulfill our calling. Wherever we are, whatever assignment He has given us. And finally, these words, bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you are planted. That's a special thing that Joyce and I heard from one of our elders' wives in North Carolina regularly. 
because she knew we were from Texas and we were a long way from home. And she said, God has brought you here so that you will bloom here. Bloom where you are planted. Maybe you don't like where you are planted. Bloom there anyway. Maybe you can't see God's plan. Bloom there anyway. Bloom where you are planted. I have a calling. Your job, your school, your volunteer work, whatever it is, God has planted you there on purpose. Bloom where you're planted. You have a calling. It is to be God's presence and share His love and His word with those around you every single day. And it matters. And it's important. It matters to God. It also matters to you. But it matters to those around you who need that touch from the Savior. You have a calling. Bloom where you are planted in my life, Lord. Whatever that looks like. May you be glorified. If you need help doing that, come as we stand and sing this great prayer.